1: Rogues of the Black Fury, a novel written and produced by Travis Heerman. This novel contains violence, adult language and mature situations. Listener discretion is advised. For more information, please visit travisheerman.com/rogues. special guest performers, Mary Rogers and Danielle McCarville. For more information about Mary and Danielle, check out the Rogues of the Black Fury homepage. Chapter 46
2: Cool, moist air feathered across Sasha's ravaged face, enough that it roused her from her stupor. The sticky, coppery taste of blood filled her mouth, and the scent of it filled her nose. Two of her teeth felt loose. The dense web of ropes still prevented her from making the slightest movement, digging like unyielding cables into her wrists, breasts, and legs. Carefully placed knots tightened against her skin by her own suspended body weight, ground like hard, unrelenting fingertips into the most sensitive areas of her naked body, her nipples, her groin. The web of ropes held her suspended three feet above the stone floor of the chamber. The ropes spread her thighs painfully wide, arched her back, pinched her breasts and squeezed her throat so tightly that she could only barely breathe. She could move only her head, and that only a little bit, or else risk choking herself. Sweat sheened her body from the heat of four braziers glowing around the room. Metal implements glinted in the racks. They had not yet used any of the torture tools on her, but she had little doubt that they would eventually. "'Nor had any of them raped her yet, "'although they had amused themselves greatly "'by violating of her every orifice with their fingers "'and jerking out handfuls of her hair from above and below. "'Perhaps they did not wish to defile themselves "'by raping an unclean, infidel murderess. "'They had beaten her several times over the course of the day "'with fists and canes. "'Dozens of wheels and bruises covered her body. "'Her face felt like a puffy mass of half-chewed gristle.' and she could not see out of her left eye again, only this time it was swollen shut, not pasted with dried blood. They had not even asked her any questions. The exquisite breeze wafted through the open window, the kind of breeze that came only on cool mountain nights, lush with the scent of moisture and moss. She took a deep breath and found herself smiling. Two minutes of heaven was worse than this, albeit only for a short time. She had already lived through years of being dead inside. If they took her life, so be it. If not, if Rusk and the others managed to find her, she might live through this as well. As she hung there, naked and degraded, she wished there would not be Javin who found her this way. She did not want this to be among his memories of her. In the last few days she had been having more and more thoughts of making good memories with him. If only she could survive this ordeal. If only he did not fall to the Absothan's blades. She had been degraded before in days gone by. Not all of Madame Malia's clientele had been worthy decent men. Some of them found pleasure in inflicting pain and humiliation. She recognized the same in these men. It was all the easier for them because she was not even a person to them. She was simply a succession of words that reduced her to something less than a woman, less than human. She and Bella could see nothing during the hours-long journey inside the enclosed wagon, but the last half had been sharply uphill on a rough switchback road sasha had been brought straight to this tower chamber stripped beaten and trussed just as she was now bella and the unknown farthy man were taken away she knew not where through the meager slit of window she could see nothing but sky and now it was the black star-peppered velvet of deep night she'd seen practically nothing of this place when they arrived it looked ancient beyond compare moss and lichen so encrusted the age-pocked stonework that it could well have been built before the age of swords It was a fortress of some kind there was no doubt even though she could see little the vastness of it surrounded her a heaviness an indefinable thickness protecting her from the only man in the world who would save her if she was to die she wanted javan to remember her naked body as he had seen her dance at the scarlet sash not entwined in torturous coils of coarse rope beaten and bloody and utterly helpless she imagined for a moment rusk finding her this way His wrath would beggar the imagination and draw the attention of the gods themselves. The breeze felt good on her face. Through her one working eye, she saw that the three Absothan men had noticed her smile. The tall, wiry, austere man with a multitude of jewels and beads woven into his beard, the man with eyes as dark and soulless as a moon devil's, watched as his two underlings stalked toward her once again. Fresh vigor and malice gleamed in their eyes. They'd had a chance to rest their fists.
0: Bella curled up in the corner of her small dark cell. When Adon had thrown her inside, the air had stunk of ancient moisture and mold. The only faint light came from the slit under the door. The cell was on one of the upper levels of some ancient tower. The door creaked when opened as if it had not been touched in centuries. She doubted that men such as these kept many prisoners. She was tired, and she was hungry, but she could not sleep. Her brain was spinning with guilt about Sasha interspersed with flashes of hope. Sasha had not come alone. Someone was looking for her. Would they find her before more horrors were enacted on her? Whatever happened, she would face it with courage, no more weeping. She would feel fear, but it would not conquer her. She would not give in to them or to fear. She would meet whatever came, be it death, torture, degradation, mutilation, with only courage. She lost awareness of the hours without food or water— But she was certain that the time must be late at night. The only sounds she could hear were those she made herself. It was as if she were alone in the world, and the utter silence pounded on her ears like cannon thunder. So many times she had felt utterly alone, times when all she could do was pity her wretchedness, but now her mind continued to churn with imaginings of what they must be doing to Sasha. She had asked Sasha many questions during their journey to this ancient citadel, but Sasha had refused to answer them. It was better that she not know, Sasha said, save that there were men coming to save her. After a time, the farthy men in the wagon with them had stirred. They could hear his movements, but in the square of light coming through the door of the wagon, they could see that he looked angry and confused. He would not look at them, "'or acknowledge their presence. "'His hands were bound, and he was naked to the waist, "'wearing only loose linen trousers. "'He had curled himself into the corner of the wagon "'to keep far away from the two females. "'A noise outside her cell door snagged her attention. "'The door opened, and three figures stood haloed "'in the light of a single oil lamp. "'Adon said, "'Get up, and come out, slave.' She obeyed, and found him standing with two middle-aged farthy women. "'Today is a blessed day for you, slave,' he said. "'At dawn, you will be consecrated to the gods. You will no longer be unclean. You will become worthy to serve righteous men. You will no longer belong to your people afterwards. They will not want you back. And you will be able to embrace your new life in the flock of the great prophet.'" These two women will take you to the sacred well for your cleansing. Courage, Bella thought, as the women took her by the arms and led her down the tower stairs. Courage, Bella.
1: Chapter 47 "'Hassad watched Karabath and Tarak do their work on the infidel woman. "'The floor underneath her suspended body was a puddle of mixed blood and water. "'Tarak dashed another bucket of water in her face to rouse her back to consciousness. "'Hassad had never seen a woman who could endure such pain. "'There was not an inkling of submission in her. "'He could see that, sense it. "'So he had not bothered to ask her any questions.' Any outright defiance from her would likely incense Karabath and Tarak into injuring her badly enough to kill her. Thus far they had restrained themselves. He walked to the narrow window and looked out over the ancient mountaintop citadel at the barren rocky slopes. The approach to the fortress of Hal Hamut was difficult, consisting of nothing more than an ill-kept rock-strewn path. To the common people of Al Khat, Hal remained an ancient enigma steeped in legend and mystery. Shepherds would not bring their flocks anywhere near its dark, inhospitable slopes. The land was not fit for farming or grazing. Sadith had built this fortress for the great prophet in the Age of Gods, a stronghold against pagan tribes from the Red Waste, and a refuge from the hostile Melamites. Over the centuries, Hassad's brethren had allowed the farthy people to forget about the fortress, The Brotherhood had propagated a great many frightful tales of monsters and demons prowling the crags of Halhamut, ready to devour the unwary and the curious. Such legends and wives' tales were the perfect shroud of secrecy. Of course, there had always been bold young men who ventured up the slopes of Halhamut, seeking to impress their compatriots or their lovers, but there were hidden sentries at all the entry routes. These adventurous few never left the slopes of Halhamut alive, and the Brotherhood had long added their bones to those already adorning the Chapel of Skulls. Sadith had built the fortress into the craggy summit of the mountain, so that it was invisible from below, until the final bend in the switchback path emerged from between the rocks at the fortress's ancient gates. The walls and parapets looked like natural protrusions of stone along the top of the cliffs, but they were fully defensible. Sa'dith had been a brilliant builder and soldier. Even in the days when the fortress often fell under siege, no enemy had ever breached its walls. Approaching the gates with an army or siege machines was all but impossible in the rough terrain. There were no suitable building materials for siege engines anywhere near the summit of Halimut, and the natural crags of the mountain were easily defensible. Over the centuries the Brotherhood had hollowed out hundreds of murder holes and tunnels, no assault would ever approach without experiencing horrendous losses. But Hassad was not dealing with any conventional force of attackers. His enemy was likely a small band of men. But what kind of men used their women as bait? This infidel woman whom Adon had captured was indeed fierce and resolved, but the enemy could not seriously expect that a woman would make an able combatant. So why was she here? The thought perplexed him, spun around in his mind like a vexing toy. He could think of nothing else until he puzzled it out, and yet, he knew she would not offer any useful information. How many of her companions were there? Doubtless there were enough of them to slaughter all the priests and acolytes in Barmiah Temple, but few enough to travel unseen all the way to El The Barmiah priests were simple holy men. They were on the improper path to Paradise, but holy men, none the less, not the highly trained fighters of the high temple of Ibsatha. But how many men would it take to slaughter an entire temple and disappear before an alarm could be raised? What kind of men could move unseen, like ghosts, through city and countryside? A handful of his brethren could do such a thing. He looked again at the woman hanging limply in the ropes, her long dark hair concealing what remained of her face. By now he knew every smallest bit of her naked flesh. During the extensive process of her binding, he had noticed a small black tattoo on her inner thigh in the shape of a fierce sword-of-winged woman. When he had a moment, he would have to seek out this symbol among his tomes. Perhaps it had significance. After a few dashes of water, her skin had lightened considerably. There was a certain lithe grace about her, but her hips were far too narrow to bear a multitude of children. After a few days, he would allow his men to have their way with her, to seed her unclean womb with the son of a righteous Ibsothan. Of course, the men would have to be purified afterward, and that involved a long ceremony and a long fasting, but at least this woman would then have the honor of bearing worthy children. Likewise with little Bella Wollstone, the women entrusted with serving the Absothan Brotherhood at Halhamut were the most righteous and pious of farthy women, with all the ancient female knowledge of sunethi and midwifery. They would see that little Bella would be properly consecrated to Inanan, and come to serve the Brotherhood as a pure and proper slave, one with whom the men of the Brotherhood could dispel their sinful urges and still maintain their vows of chastity. The kol, were nothing more than empty, purified vessels into which the men could spew their seed. They were not truly women in the eyes of the gods. For one of the brethren to lie down with a real woman would break his vows and put his soul in mortal peril. Hassad's mind went back to the kind of men his adversaries must be. The chance that they would find their way to Hal whoever they were, was exceedingly slim. The entire city of al was frothing now like a pack of rabid jackals. The city guards had arrested every foreigner they could find and had already crucified many of them. It was only a matter of time before the city guards found these foreign spies and crucified them beside the other foreigners. Of course, Hassad could not well call the city guards to the aid of the High Temple. He was holding the son of a priest-king as prisoner, after all, he had plans for zamish amfathad the 12th the man's indoctrination and education would begin tomorrow hassad was a master of the ancient ways that could alter and shape a man's mind his loyalties his desires after a time zamish amfathad the 12th would miraculously return to Al-Khat with a stunning tale of rescue from the infidels at the hands of the absothan brotherhood He would sing the Brotherhood's praises and ultimately take his father's place among the priest-kings of Fartha. He would then lead the other priest-kings into the final conflict and usher in the coming of Chith. Everything was proceeding precisely as he had planned. He turned his attention once again to the infidel woman. She was conscious, but barely. He stepped up to her and spoke in Cuskish. Perhaps now is the time for a few questions. Will you answer? He drew his dagger and placed the cold, flat sheen against the flesh of her right shoulder. She did not move, but he sensed her muscles tense through the touch of the blade. Ragged breath hissed between her swollen lips, and blood dripped in a steady patter into the water below her. "'Have you any idea,' he said, "'how much more painful the ropes become?' with a dislocated shoulder. He stabbed the point of his dagger into the meat of her shoulder, into the joint, twisted and wrenched. There was a muffled popping crunch as her arm came loose from her shoulder. Her body sagged forward in the ropes, her arm flopping unnaturally behind her. Her mouth opened up into a scream of fresh agony. Thank you for listening to Rogues of the Black Fury by Travis Hearman. If you enjoy the story, don't be shy. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. And don't forget to go to this podcast's homepage and click the donate button. Give whatever you like, but is $4.99 really too much to ask for this many hours of entertainment? Rogues of the Black Fury is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. I encourage you to copy it and give it away to all your roguish friends. Just don't change it or sell it, or the Black Furies will soon be coming after you.